Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. The Natural Hat Trick with Luke Lipinski, Craig Morgan, and Jamie Eisner. Welcome to episode 225 of the Natural Hedrick Podcast alongside Jamie Eisner. Man, it's really it's chilly out here today. Phoenix 68, not cloud in the sky. I mean, really, there's so much to complain about weather-wise. Should have wore a hoodie. And Craig Morgan on assignments. Natty, <laughs> Natty. <laughs> He's apparently turned into Casper the Friendly that's Ghost. Sitting on one of those massage chairs at Mall of America or something. Oh, that's disturbing. Shivering. What's uh, What's the weather like in Minnesota, Mr. Morgan? It's a balmy 25 degrees, but it is sunny. Oh, well, there you go. It's always sunny in Minnesota, just like that show. Except it was not about Minnesota. And metaphorically, it's not about their hockey team. No, it's absolutely not. All right, let's. Uh, where do we want to start today, guys? There's a lot to get to. That's your job, Luke. Oh, well, you guys need to stall for a second because all my notes just went away. Let's actually let's start with the Coyotes winning in Washington on Monday and then in St. Louis on Tuesday, becoming the first team in NHL history to defeat the last two Stanley Cup champions in back-to-back games on the road. I only said that so quickly because I've heard that stat 9,000 times. How many times have you had to say that on the air? Uh, not as many as everybody else has, apparently. Okay. I said it a couple times, but, I mean, when I said it, it was in the postgame show and I hadn't heard it 14 billion times. Nonetheless, though, one of the most impressive back-to-backs I can ever remember from the Coyotes, maybe ever from the Coyotes. Yeah, when you consider the circumstances, there's, there's so much to unwrap there, right? They came off that awful two-game homestand where they lost to a, a pair of bad teams, one of which they will play tonight in St. Paul. Um, so you're not feeling good about where they are. Knowing the November schedule, what it presents, they were a 500 team in November at that point, and they're facing their toughest back-to-back. <laughs> they got... Auntie Ronta was absolutely under a siege in Washington, but they got, uh, you know, maybe a couple of lucky goals, and they, they probably got outplayed, but they found a way to get that game in the shootout. Then they fly out of there, fly into St. Louis, arrive at an okay time, but then we sat on the tarmac for two and a half hours. I think I got to bed at 4 a.m., and I'm sure uh, I didn't have as much to do as the players, but they somehow found a way to get another shootout win in St. Louis in another game they probably shouldn't have won, so... They really, they've really righted the ship here. You have to feel good about where this team is. And if they can finish it and get some payback against this team, wow, you feel really good coming home. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Look, that St. Louis game, that really showed something. We, we've talked about this team and this progression over the last few years of being able to win games when everything is stacked against you, be able to win games you're not supposed to win, and, and finding a way to get two points in St. Louis, given the circumstances on the tarmac, given the fact they played the night before in Washington, D.C., 
Uh, all of that put together, that was uh, really an epic victory. And look, there are some issues they still have to work out. Like hold, holding leads would be nice. Like if they would have not blown that lead in Washington, would have been super. They fixed it against St. Louis. Just but don't they, get the lead. And yeah, exactly. Fun. If you if you don't lead till the very end, then you're you're golden. But St. Louis didn't know what hit them. I, I can't imagine you could have had a better trip thus far than what they had, even with the blown lead in Washington, because. I mean, we were talking about it before the show. Evgeny Kuznetsov was a monster in that game yeah. for the Caps. It was un- so, Craig, I mean, now Jamie, I guess, has sort of spoiled it, but I'll just throw it to you anyway. I talked to Rick talking about this yesterday and asked him who the three, who the toughest players they have faced so far this season have been, just within the context of their games. And he, of course, rattled off McDavid, and he said Dreisaitl, and then he said Kuznetsov, and he basically said Kuznetsov on Monday was like trying to stop McDavid most nights. I mean, I, and look, Kuznetsov's always been a good player, but he just went off in that game, and he has games like that. And I guess the bigger point to take from this is they just beat Washington and St. Louis, and it's not like Washington and St. Louis played poorly. No, I, I thought they, to be honest, they were outplayed in both of those games, but like Jamie said, you have to find some ways to get points when you're not supposed to win, and really, uh, in that situation that we just discussed, that after coming off the uh, 0-2 homestand, they were in a desperate situation, and they were under siege in that Washington game in particular. I thought, you know, they stabilized a little more in St. Louis. There was there were some problems through the neutral zone still, but I thought they were a lot better in that area. But again, they got four points out of those games. I have no idea how it happened. But now this team is sitting pretty with a chance, in fact, to move into first place at the 20-game mark of the season if they win tonight in St. Paul and Edmonton loses at home in regulation to Colorado. Yeah, the Coyotes still have the uh, the game in hand on Edmonton going in. Of course, we're recording this on Thursday morning. Uh, we'll get more in-depth back into the Coyotes here in a little bit, but I want to run through two pretty big injuries around the NHL. Mitch Marner, and oh, that was the, the, the involuntary like Freudian slip there with Olfi. And Sidney Crosby's out for, what, six weeks? Yeah, minimum six weeks. I'm just going to squeak this in Craig's ear for the next hour of this podcast. Um, Thank you. Thank you for that. And you didn't. I don't have a cowbell either, by the way. Although I don't need one this morning, do I? No, you don't, because the Blackhawks are unstoppable. As just a faint cowbell, as we establish it. Just to remind yeah, you. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. That re- unstoppable title you bestowed upon them. And then they went out there and beat Vegas in Vegas. Um, yeah, yeah. So Marner and Crosby, I would say Crosby is the the bigger issue. Just be, I mean, the two teams both have the same amount of points in the standings. Pittsburgh actually has a better record than Toronto right now because they've played two less games and they have 22 points. But I don't see how the Penguins are going to hang around without Crosby, whereas the Leafs can obviously get by without Marner for a little bit. Has there been an update? Uh, you know, I saw the, the report from Rob Rossi that Crosby was considering surgery. Uh, is there an update on that? Uh, yeah, he had the yeah, surgery. He already had it. Yeah, yeah, he had the surgery. He morning. did have the surgery. My yeah. bad. Sorry. I've been a little busy. You're, you've been in Minnesota. News travels slow. Unless it's well, hockey news, then you should be getting it before anybody because it's the... This is true, actually. It's the state of hockey. I, I apologize for being so far behind. Um, but, but yeah, yeah six I, weeks. I, I think City Crosby is pretty important to the Penguins, right? <laughs> it seems like it. Seems, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, they've been leaning on Brian Rust, of all people. It's, I have to, this is the weirdest thing. Malkin is playing, right? He, he is, technically, yes. Okay. Because he is on the ice. I see him. I, I also saw him in Clayton Keller's basement on the wall. Uh, oh, I'd say that. I'm glad you clarified that because I was going to be, <laughs> I had some other further follow-ups, but I'll. Okay. I'm trying to, he's, he's missed it. I mean, I guess Malkin has seven points in seven games this year, but it just feels so low impact. The only reason I bring that up is, Typically throughout their careers, when Crosby is out, Malkin really does step up. And if he does that, I think they can stay afloat 
and the Penguins actually have not been bad this year. They haven't been good this year. They've just kind of been a team, uh, but a decent team, like a borderline playoff team. But I don't know how they're going to stick around without Crosby for six weeks. I mean, well, that's that's a while. They got to lean on goal scorer Jared McCann. <laughs> I believe he's uh, second on the team in goals right he now. Yes, six. Um, mm. That ended up being a good move for them. He was good last year too for them. But uh, you know who has not been good for them is Alex Galchenyuk. Yeah. Who, who has? Let me just keep. Yeah, three points down. in nine games. I don't remember two of those three points. Yeah, um, the, he hasn't. And look, he started the season hurt, and he hasn't adjusted well to that team. I, I I'm surprised. I expected. I expected him to have a really strong season for them. And I, again, you don't know how much the injury is bothering him, but he's been incredibly ineffective in the handful of games he has played so far this year. Well, and I mean, I'll usually give a guy a buffer zone coming off an injury or joining a new team. And like you just said, he did both those things. They were going to put him, or they had put him up on that top line with Crosby to sort of try and jumpstart him. But now Crosby's out. So, I mean, if Galchenyuk's going to get going in Pittsburgh, he's going to have to do it on his own. Or he's going to be a guy in the second half of the season that maybe gets going. What happens to him in free agency, by the way? I, I, I think... I think somebody I keep I keep wanting to buy in on him. I think somebody's going to potentially get a good deal cuz he's not going to command a whole lot of money, but he needs to stay on one team for a while. It, you know this reminds me of the season that again, it's still early, but the season Jordan Eberle had last year going into free agency of a guy that has a, at least a fairly proven track record of being a pretty decent goal scorer, not a top line player, but a, a pretty decent goal scorer in, in, on your second line that had a down year and signs a team friendly contract in that case to stay in New York. Maybe it's not to stay in Pittsburgh, but I imagine that could be a value deal for him because, you know, look, the things in Arizona, he was injury. I mean, injury plagued. Uh, he was injured to start the year in Pittsburgh. Again, I want to see how he performs by midseason. He's played nine games. I don't want to completely write off his season on November 14th, but I imagine he could be a, a decent little value for someone, but someone that has scored 30 goals before. He That's he, a lot of character for you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you wrote off Colorado before the season started. It's true. Yeah, as a, as a wild card team. And I'm, I'm not. By the way, I'm not coming off of this yet till the end of the season. I, nobody was taught. I, nobody was in my DMs when they lost five in a row, and then they score like 18 goals in one period, and then I hear from everybody again. But <laughs> just convenient. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Marner missing some time with the Maple Leafs. The Leafs are not. I mean, they like I said, same record as Pittsburgh right now. Actually, technically even a little bit worse. They both have 22 points. They're both right now. Right now, the two wild cards would be Pittsburgh and Toronto. Um, as somebody that follows Pittsburgh, I'm fine with that, given everything that the, just the context around that team. If I was a Maple Leafs fan, I would not be pleased that my team is the second wild card right now. And, and honestly, I know it's early, but we're now a quarter of the way into the season. This is not the mm-hmm. second week of the season. Something doesn't look right with that team. And, and by the way, they played a few more games than the team's chasing them. So when Mitch Marner comes back, Toronto could very well be out of a playoff spot. But you have to wonder how much longer they are going to be patient with Mike Babcock. He is not getting this team to play the way it needs to play. Does this team even want to play for Mike Babcock anymore? I have to wonder all those things. Yeah, and the thing, the the issue, the potential issue there is it seems like most of those young players like Matthews and Marner, it seems like they're all sort of banded together. So if it comes down to drawing a, a line in the sand, it's going to be the young players in Toronto versus Babcock. He's not going to win that. Well, look, and the thing that's got to be concerning, too, if you're Toronto, is that your stars are playing well, and you're still in this spot. I mean, you're only two points up, or excuse me, four points up on Tampa Bay with five more games played. <laughs> Tampa Bay took well, a week off in well, the middle well, of the season. Well, to be fair, they had to travel to Sweden, which I get. They I, didn't I, have I to walk. Well, 
I get it. But they're back tonight, so it's Buffalo. But, I mean, Austin Matthews has 13 goals and 26 points in 20 games. Ooh, Marner, Buffalo's back. <laughs> yeah, by the way. Oh, we'll get there. I, I, I want my apologies in written form from everybody. Not from us. Buffalo. When did we ever? Um, we never took Buffalo's side. Marner's a point-per-game player. Morgan Riley's almost been that. I mean, they've gotten 8 goals and 16 points from William Nylander. Tavares has been point-per-game when he's played. Like, it's... What the, the, the issue is, is your stars are performing and you're still been underwhelming so far. Stand, they can't defend. It's no. Goal-tending. And we knew that. <laughs> and we knew that. We knew this team couldn't defend. Did somebody tie Tyson Berry's skates together and he hasn't gotten them untied? He has been miserable yeah. this season Oof. for Toronto. Um yeah, they have 22 points. Tampa Bay, the only reason we hadn't really brought them up is because they've only played 15 games. So they are technically out of a playoff spot right now, but they haven't played enough games. Uh, but Buffalo. Craig, you mentioned the teams that are chasing Toronto. Buffalo's right behind Toronto. I wouldn't categorize it as chasing. They're... No, I, I, that's not one of the teams that I would mention. Okay. <laughs> they're going the opposite direction. <laughs> they're just falling off the cliff faster than Toronto. Uh, they've yeah, lost five in a row. Yeah. 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 The... yeah. But Carolina's right there. Tampa Bay, again, as you mentioned, has played. By the way, Tampa Bay has played six fewer games than Calgary right now. That's just insane to have that disparity this early in the season. But that's a team that's going to be coming. So those are the two teams that I would really look at, Tampa Bay and Carolina, in terms of teams that could push Toronto out of a playoff spot by the time Mitch Warner comes back. Serious question, too. If they're going to play these games in Sweden and Prague, and and, I I, I like it, and I think... Because it's such an international game, and we'll get to that in a little bit too, um, I think a lot of the players are on board with it too. I don't think it's like NFL players being forced to go to London in the middle of the season. But there's got to be a way to do this where the schedule isn't so messed up. Like They can't do... Why don't they just do these games either going into the All-Star break, coming out of the All-Star break, or at the very start of the season, or like around your bye week or whatever? Because this, when you've played six less games than a team, and we're talking about 21 to 15 games, that's so uneven, it's going to come back to bite Tampa probably in the second half of the season. Yeah, they're going to face a condensed schedule. I agree with you. I think there's a better way of doing this. But wait, wait, are we suggesting that the NHL schedule makers aren't doing a good job? No, we would never. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for the year when the Coyotes have games in Finland, but they're split up. So it goes like Finland and then a game in L.A. and then back to Finland three right. days later. That's that's what I'm oh, waiting yeah. for. Back to backs, right? Back to backs. Finland and, and hey, St. Louis. Yeah, why not? That's, that's just, just quick. That's road trip to St. Louis are so fast anyway. Uh, are we, we're done with Buffalo, right? I mean, this is what they do every I, I, year. I've been done with Buffalo. Okay, That's why I want that to be on the record. We all have, but I'm saying like collectively, the people out there that were like, oh, is this the year? Do no. we have to give Buffalo? At what point do we start to respect Buffalo? Um, as, as my response was online, at the draft lottery. That's when we respect <laughs> Buffalo, and, and here we are again. Um, all right, do we want to get into the Don Cherry stuff here? Uh-huh. Okay. I don't want to get like too <laughs> deep into it. I don't want to go into yeah, politics. I I, I'm going to admit, I, I like overload at this point. Let's just let's keep it brief because I don't think people really want to hear about politics on this show anyway. But I, I'll just I'll start off by saying this: when I when I was I started watching hockey when I was five, Don Cherry was still doing that show then, and there was talk then about how he might need to go. Um, I'm not going to get too heavily into it, but uh, I, it just seems like it was kind of time for whatever the reason was. What is interesting to me is is the pushback the other way. And I, what I've learned is you don't... I should have already learned this. Don't read stuff on social media when stuff like this happens. Just ever. You can just stop that like end of social media. Uh, people are typically nice to me on social media. That's why I stay on it. Because people, for whatever reason, I've gotten lucky. But when I read comments... 
from one person to another person, I realize everybody else kind of hates each other. They do. Uh, look, my, my thoughts on this, I'll keep them brief as well. Uh, it was time. It's been time. There's been a number of incidents uh, in the last few years that, that warranted uh, his dismissal um, from that show. This is what you get when you put highly controversial people on television, whether it's in for sports or politics or whatever it might be. Uh, you're intentionally playing with fire on purpose for ratings, and I understand why you do it, but you have to understand that there's always the risk that they go too far. And it, we see a lot of times in sports where those controversial, controversial talking heads that, that make all their money trying to be you know, the, the anti-this or anti-that, or they're trying to be whatever the bad boy or bad girl of television, they oftentimes put their foot in their mouth and they go one step too far and get everybody involved in trouble. That's what happened here. Uh, I understand yeah. he was a staple for a lot of people. I understand that there's tradition, but he... Needed to go, and I will not personally miss him on Hockey Night Canada. Yeah. Listen, I, I would add something to that. I'm, I'm not even sure that he was trying to be that controversial guy. I think this is just who he was. And, and there are probably worse things that Don Cherry has said. So yeah. it's interesting that this, this was the thing that tipped the scales. But, yeah, I'll uh, back everything else that Jamie said. It, it probably was time to go. But it, it, what, what, what happens here is we're, we're in such a, a – there's there's so much animosity in in our culture right now in Canada and in the U.S. right now, and it's just people shouting at each other. And look, I, it's, there's nothing there's nothing to defend here about what he actually said. But there was a lot of there were a lot of things that uh, Don Cherry did for the game as well that get swept under the rug here. Again, I'm not trying to defend this in any way. It was time to go, but. It's funny how things become black and white in instances like this, uh, and that's too bad, but he probably brought it on himself. Yeah, and look, there's also the factor here. None of us are saying he should like be thrown in jail or or not be worried. Like, he just not shouldn't be on the show anymore. Like, I, I think people always react to this this issue very strangely where, you know, they always bring up free speech as if, again, with a complete misunderstanding of government yeah. punishment versus pri- yeah, private Yeah, he's punishment. not getting thrown in jail. He exactly. can say whatever he wants. Thank you, thank you. You, you yeah. could say someone doesn't deserve to hold the position that they have anymore and also not think they deserve to be thrown in jail or sent to the gallows. But, like, th- there seems to be this, this lack of nuance in the world, quite frankly, but in, in these types of conversations where, you know, look, I don't want anything bad to happen to Don Cherry. I just don't want him on TV in that spot anymore. No, and I, I sort of agree, and this is maybe a topic for the off season when when you know there's not as many compelling topics. But what Jamie's saying, I mean, there's enough shows on TV right now, and there's not really a lot in the world of hockey. But there's enough shows on TV where it's very clearly you two people are going to argue, which means one of you in a lot of debates is going to have to take a stance you clearly don't believe, and it's just, you're just doing it to be contrarian. I don't really see that a lot in hockey, and I sort of agree with what Craig was saying. I don't think Don Cherry is taking the stances that he takes to be controversial. I, I think he probably does just feel that way. What is surprising to me, though, and, and maybe I'm naive, because you know, Craig just sort of said it, you know, it's sort of interesting that after all these years, this is what gets him fired. Like, it was stupid of him to say, and if he feels that way, that's probably even more dumb. But I was sort of surprised there was never just a Don Cherry came out and apologized, and he's now, he's sort of, he's on notice that this is going to be his last season if he doesn't shape up. It was just, he's just gone. We're more, it's more, it's, we live in a more sensitive culture now, and I think in some ways that's good, some ways that's bad, but on issues like this, it's good. I mean, look, there's there's been a lot of... He's been a little bit more nuanced, I think, in the past. You know, there's a difference between the the you people argument that he put on the air a week ago and the cloaking it in Euro trash hockey type yeah. things. I mean, there, there's been – it's just – it's the lack of nuance and it's the, the terminology that's being used. I think anybody that has listened to Don Cherry knows he's felt like this for a long time. 
I mean, he's we expressed about that. him a few weeks ago when he said St. Louis only won the cup because they had Canadians on their roster. But it's just the way you say it, and it's yeah. how bluntly you say it, and the fact that again, the stuff that you get away with even five years ago doesn't fly anymore. I think the only, not even good, but the only thing that might come out of this that could be productive is I have seen conversations starting up now about how as much as, like, I love hockey. It's been my favorite sport since I was five, but it is not the most inclusive sport, and I don't even think it's intentional. Like, I think the NHL is going out of its way to be more inclusive, and you see players, you know, around the league, and I'll point to Crosby because he's one of them, and he's one of the main ones, but he's not the only one that is trying to make the game affordable for people that don't have the money when they're six years old and, and want to start playing, because hockey, the, by just the nature of what it is, if you're not playing early and playing consistently, you're never going to have a career playing hockey. You're just not. It's not like basketball where we hear about players that, yeah, they're great athletes, Athletes, they didn't really pick up a basketball until they were 15, and now look at how good they are. If you're not playing hockey consistently by what, the age of seven or eight, you're, you're, not gonna, you're never going to do anything with it. And just by the nature of how much it costs to rent ice time and you have to live in certain areas of the, the country or the globe to have a legitimate shot of playing, it's not intentional. But in a lot of ways, if you're not careful, it becomes a rich person sport, which is not what you want. Because you're leaving a lot of very talented people out of the equation. I don't think we're seeing, even in the NHL now with all the star power that they have, the best of the best. Because I think too many people are cut off from ever even having an opportunity to play. And I understand that's not what Don Cherry's point was here. But the spinoff that's coming off of it, that conversation is finally happening again. I mean, I mean, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Look, barrier of entry is a problem for the NHL. The, the best yeah. athletes in the world, are by the majority, are playing basketball or soccer or football. And you're only getting a small percentage because the barrier of entry, the cost of entry, the just uh, yeah. the situation, and some of it can't be, well. yeah. and some of it can't be fixed. Like you, you can't not play ice hockey on ice on skates ice. Yeah. on ice. Like yeah. there's some things that are just you have to know that this is going to be an issue. That there's going to be of cost, but anything that you can do as a league to subsidize that cost somewhat and at least open the door for more and more potential athletes to come into your sport, it will be better for your sport. In the long term. Which I think the league is trying to do, and they have been trying to do. But it runs counterproductive when one of the biggest names in your sport is out there talking about your sport as if it's not inclusive. Whether that was in his intention or not, he, like you said, Jamie, he's towed that line not just once or twice, but for decades at this point. Oh, it was, it, it was intention, intentional, no doubt about it. We've known, listen, we, we've known for a while that Don Cherry's a bigot. Let, let's just say it. And an interesting strategy to go on Fox News and prove that you're not, right? Yeah, that <laughs> but, was... Uh... That's, I mean, come on. It, 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 look, that's who he is. That is who he is. Uh, and, it, and it was indeed time to go. But the, the other discussion, it, it's incredibly nuanced, right? It, it, uh, how, much, how much does the NHL really want? to uh, dive into those other communities, because what is the cost of doing that? I have to wonder that. Sorry, that sounds a bit cynical. I, I, sometimes I think that we see a lot of marketing, but I wonder how completely invested they are in making that happen because there is a significant cost associated with that move. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, it's nuanced. Um, back into stuff that's happening on the ice, or I guess in this case off the ice, Ilya Kovalchuk is never playing for the Kings again. It, that's become quite clear over the last few days. Can't believe that didn't work out. Do we really think he's just done? I, I, I feel like if he ended up on a cup contender, he could offer them something. As If nothing else, as like a third-line sc- Yeah, I, I think in the right situation, he could be a third-line scorer that you can't rely on consistently. But if you got into the playoffs in a seven-game series, couldn't you see him putting up three or four goals in one series and maybe swinging things a little bit? 
I, I just don't feel like he's done. GM, are you concerned about making a trade for him at this point? And, and really, what, what are they going to get? What do they expect to get for him at this point? Maybe it's a bag of, bag of pucks. You, you can't give up anything for him at this point. Do you get concerned about bringing him into your locker room as well? It's almost got to be like a New England Patriot situation that he walks into where there's, there's so much leadership in that locker room that you don't have to worry about a personality like this potentially upsetting the apple cart. Look, I mean, given his current cap hit this year and next year, I would literally love your team. Yeah, I, I'm, I guess what I'm saying doesn't even take into account contract, which is obviously a big part of this. I'm just saying if you yeah. put him on Washington or Tampa, two teams I could see him fitting on, I think he could be helpful. Not not that he's going to turn the tide. I mean, those are two cup contenders anyway. But I just feel like if those two teams could go out and pick him up for the league minimum, he would help them. And now, do I think he would help Ottawa? No, I think he would destroy that team. You know what I mean? It's it's very You're going to have to be very careful. Like Craig said, you're going to have to have the right leadership in the right situation. But... I don't know why L.A. thought adding him was a good idea in the first place because they're not anywhere close to anything except, like, the beach. Yeah, look, he he hasn't been anything beyond a marginal player, third-line player, since he came back from Russia. Like, he's, he's a, at best, he's a 15-goal, 30-ish point guy. That, yeah. That's what you're getting at a six-point-something cap hit with all the other issues surrounding it. Like, I just, to me, there's... Sure, if if they end up buying him out or something, and you can sign him for the minimum, sure, there might be some teams that could that would say, "Hey, screw it, we'll take a risk." But at his current deal, I, I can't imagine anybody trades literally anything for him. Let's go to Chicago. As Craig touched on it earlier, the Blackhawks now uh, steamrolling everybody. And uh, Craig, the floor is yours. Look at they've they've almost won as many games as they've lost now. <laughs> That's all you have? Here's what I would say. I think the Blackhawks, okay, they brought in Jeremy Colleton obviously last season when they, they laid all the blame for this utter disaster of a roster that was constructed by someone else uh, on Joel Quenville. <laughs> so they fired him, and he's doing really good things in Florida right now. Shocking. At some point, at some point you knew they had to try and play with some structure, try to, I don't know, what's the word for it, uh, defend. <laughs> So they tried that earlier in the season, and oh boy, was it a hot mess. This team can't defend. So now we're seeing what we saw when Carlton first came aboard. Let's just play this wide-open, fun style. It's, it's great. It is. It's really entertaining hockey. And the Blackhawks are winning games, and that Strom at kane line looks great. I mean, of course it does. To play Debrinkat and Kane together, they're going to look great. But... This is not a sustainable style. This is not a style you're going to win with in the playoffs if they even get to the playoffs, and that's the problem. Are they just content to be an entertaining team for the rest of the season? When are they going to realize that they just don't have the right construction to be a contender against? Well, they're, they're not going to. They've, continued, they've been lying to themselves for years now. Look, this is a one-line team that can't defend and has spotty goaltending from everybody that's when. From Corey Crawford, like that's it. That's all it this is. Terrific last night. It was terrific. And if it hadn't been, they would have been. It would have been a track meet last night. But that's you can't sustain that type of goaltending facing the kind of pressure that they were facing last night in Vegas. It was insane. I can't find the uh, Colleton quote, but it, it was essentially, and this was before the game last night. It was essentially, yeah, we realized we were pulling too many guys back to 
to try and play defense in our zone. So we're just sort of opening it up so we can move the puck up the ice quicker. And we were too bunched up in our own zone. Our breakouts were terrible. And since they've made that switch, Patrick Kane has gone off. I don't know if saying, hey, Patrick Kane's scoring, so we must be doing something right is necessarily a good way to measure your team because he tends to score anyway. But um, they are a lot more fun to watch, which I know does nothing for... Craig's stress levels, but for for those of us that don't care if the Blackhawks win or lose, they are a more fun team to watch, Craig, if that helps. Thanks a lot, Luke, for that. <laughs> Not caring. Not caring about my feelings. I will say this. Uh, there it is. I have a strong beef with Twitter at this, at this point because it, it lists, as we're talking, relevant people down the side. Yeah. And it lists Jamie Eisner as a relevant person. Yeah. Something's wrong with their algorithms. I don't know if they're going to have to shut down That's for cool. a while. By the way, Vegas had 42 shots on goal last night, mm-hmm. and they had, let's see, let, let me do math for a moment, okay? okay. Don't hurt yourself. <laughs> they, had, they had 72 attempts last night. Is that... 72 attempts at Corey Crawford. Do you think that's sustainable? Um, no, and Toronto had 57 shots on goal the game before against Chicago, but they won both right. games. Yes, and that's going to keep up? I don't think so. No. Although they did just beat the two teams I thought were going to be in the Stanley Cup this year. So, and then, like I said, they're at least uh, they're fun, and they're 4-1-1 and one in their last six. So, I just you at well, least you already know where the parade route is through downtown, right? I mean, you guys have done well, this before. I, I just think Stan Bowman is buying himself time. He can lie to people for another year about this roster and tell them, yeah, it's, it's good enough. Yeah, it's... um. It's not good enough, and it's that's also fun, is watching Stan Bowman just weasel his way in for more and more years. Uh, the Rookie of the Year scoring race, or how about just the Rookie of the Year race now at the quarter point? Jack Hughes, Capo Caco both heating up. Uh, Caco, because his team's actually playing games now and they weren't earlier, Hughes just seems to be finding his stride a little bit with New Jersey. But if you had to vote right now, wouldn't McCarr be Rookie of the Year? He's a point-per-game defenseman on a team that needed defense. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you'd argue with it at this point. He, he's been terrific, and it doesn't he have? A, yeah, he's got 18 points in 18 games. Doesn't he lead all rookies right now? Yeah, he does by six points. Yeah, yeah. that's insane. Uh, yeah, he's uh, to, right now to me he's the runaway choice. We'll see what happens. It's we're only at the quarter point of the season, so there are obviously a lot of games. I mean, we were talking about Clayton Keller a long time ago as a rookie of the year candidate, and then he fell off. So we'll see what happens, but. Yeah, right now he has to be the vote. Who, who's your number two? Because it might be Quinn Hughes. Um, are you saying right now or just who you think is going to win? If you, if you had to vote today. It, it might be Hughes. I don't want to take away from what he's doing. I, I still think Kako's going to win or finish second. And I think his numbers, I guess they're not skewed that much. Now they've played 16 games. He's just, he's picking it up. And maybe it's because I watched him just destroy the Penguins the other night. And so I'm slightly skewed. But that was my pick before the season. And now he's finally getting to play. He is a solid minus 10, though. That's not ideal. I'm surprised you didn't pick Wait, Kirby. you're saying plus minus matters? I'm not saying plus minus matters. I'm saying plus minus, and I've always said this, matters if it's extreme. If you finish the season minus 30, you are doing something wrong as opposed to the guy who's a plus 10. How about Kirby Doc? That's better. Uh, Kirby Doc scored last night. Okay. Hey, how about... Uh, he had, a, he had Al- a nice game. Alex Nylander has two goals as well. So that's... All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that bell. Uh, Jamie took the bell. Oh, there it is. Here, how about the bell and the, the dock at the same time? I wonder, people walking by, do they think this is a show for infants when they walk by the window? Yeah, they, they guess right. Okay. Yeah, no, I just wanted to make sure. Are they accurate? Uh, how about the San Jose Sharks starting to pick up wins? Martin Jones? Vezina? <laughs> if 30 other teams oh, can boy. track. <laughs> if, uh, no, it would only take about 28 other teams to contract. Uh, 
They ha- Joe Pavelski is playing well, and that helps. Because he's kind of good. He has seven points in his past six games. Um, it's not going to help the Sharks right now. But No, are you talking about the Stars or the Sharks? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm talking about the Stars. Oh. But, oh. Luke was talking and, about the Sharks. And, and the Sharks at the same time. They, well, the they are. are eight, one and one, the Stars are 8-1-1 one one in their past 10. That's the team that's heating up. They are the hottest team in hockey. Well, I guess the Islanders. We've got to get to the Islanders yeah, in a second. It, it, yeah. the, the hottest teams in hockey right now are the Stars. Uh, the Sharks are, I guess, I mean, they've, they've won four in a row, but they're 5-5 five and five in their last 10, so maybe I should pump the brakes a little bit there. The, the Capitals are 8-0-2 oh, in their last 10. The Islanders are 9-0-1, oh, and, and that doesn't even tell the whole story because, I mean, they were obviously on a streak that extended beyond that. Now I get it. They're going to make me count. They are 12-0-1 oh, in their last 13 games. Is that good? And they've, I mean, here's the teams they've beaten, some of them. Florida, St. Louis, however you feel about Winnipeg, Arizona, Philadelphia, Tampa Bay, however you feel about Buffalo, Florida, and Toronto. I mean... I don't like visiting either of those cities, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> they, uh, they are remarkable. The goaltending's been unbelievable again. Uh, Varlamov's been good. Grace has been out of this world in his nine games. Yeah. Which one of us is going to do the impression of Thomas Grace? Eh, eh. Hello. I don't. I hey, look at this roster. Look at this roster and explain this to me. I can't. And and yeah. they've been doing it without uh, Jordan Eberle. Not. I mean, last year they basically did it without Jordan Eberle until they got to the playoffs too. But this year they just got him back two games ago. Yeah, they don't have a point per game player on their roster. They have like five guys that are half point per game players. I mean, Trotz's system they- is really. <laughs> Really doing well. Yes, yes. Do they have anybody who's even a bona fide superstar on this team? Matthew Barzell may be close, but but that's it. I mean, Josh Bailey's a good name. Josh Bailey's a good player, but not a superstar. Neither is Brock Nelson or Anders Lee or Anthony Bolivier. But uh, I mean, I don't know. I look at this team and like you, you want to pick them to regress, but you watched them do this last year. Yeah, they're actually better right. this year. Like <laughs> they are. And it, I think it starts. It, you, we talk. Their goaltending has been spectacular, but we saw it against the Coyotes. And this is who the Islanders are. They have such a great forecheck. They just pin you in your own end. They have a hard, heavy forecheck, and you spend a ton of time defending. And when you finally get out of the zone, you're so exhausted that you just have to go for a change. I um, I apologize because I'm doing this on the fly, so maybe I've missed somebody. And if you're out there listening and you somehow know the answer to this and you're screaming at your your phone right now, I'm sorry. But I'm looking through Coach of the Year winners all time. Yeah. The only the only back to back was Jacques Demare in '87 and '88, and I think right now, it, Trotz would at least be a finalist, wouldn't he? I mean, it, he's he, got to be. Even though he won last year, and he also won in 2016, and we know with this award, it's it's sort of a we're going to give this to somebody new each year, somebody who's got their team that was like Dave Tippett took a team that was horrible last year. And right now, they're in first place. I think he would win. I think right now, yeah. my finalists would probably be Tippett, Tockett, and Trotz. But yeah, I'd go along with that. The fact that Trotz is in the conversation after winning last year is unreal. It's happened once in the history of the award. There's really nothing more to say on that, Luke, is there? No, I guess not, um, unless we get Barry Trotz on the line. Uh, let's go back to the Coyotes here. John Chaika with okay. the new the new uh, contract. Um, Craig, I will start with you because I'm assuming you knew that this was coming. I mean, I, and it wasn't that hard to figure out something was probably coming, but I feel like Craig always knows like at least five hours before everybody else. Well, he, I mean, he had a year and a half left, so you knew that these talks had to happen. And, and look, Rick Tockett only has a year left, year and a half left on his deal, too. So while I don't think that that's going to happen during the season, I would expect those talks to heat up in the summer. 
Uh, I think Ritakit's okay with that, by the way. But, yeah, you, you had to get something done here. You had to uh, – look, Alex Morello had to evaluate a little bit. He had to come in and get the lay of the land. But when you look at what this team is doing, and now when you look at some of those core pieces that he's tied up, what they are doing, it's sort of a logical move. I don't know the length of this deal. I, I haven't found anyone who knows the length of this deal. I suspect it's a four-year deal. That's usually what happens in these situations. But John Trika deserved this. He, he has done – incredible work here thus far and he deserves to you know maybe move into the next phase of where this team is going uh, possibly as a playoff team as soon as this season i'm guessing you're standing relatively close to one person who knows the length of the deal right now and that yeah. would be well, john Chica. yeah I, I was i was standing very close to them before it was awkward so i had to move so i could do this podcast because okay. i was literally <laughs> right behind them um yeah, I mean, what what this does for me is I have to think for them to go out there and feel the urgency to get this done. We all think he's done a great job. I mean, you can sit there and you can find little things. Okay, maybe the Keller contract, we don't know yet. Maybe it's too long. Maybe you paid him too much. We don't know. We, at worst, you look at things that he has done and say we, the jury's still out. But you have to feel good about the Schmaltz deal. I'm feeling a lot better about the Chikrin deal over the last three, four weeks. I feel good about the Dvorak deal. Yeah, I mean, the Darcy yep. Kemper trade, That was I, I don't miss. Scott Wedgwood. That's worked out. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Scott. Um, so it's not a shock to me that the team wanted to to lock him up. But I, I have to think with the sense of urgency, there's got to be an element of other people around the league. And Craig, maybe you can speak to this better than any of us because you're traveling around. Is the perception of John Chica has that shifted away from this guy's just too young and he's going to do things a different way and we want to do it the way it's been done for 100 years? Is that finally shifting? Uh, maybe a little bit. I still think there are a lot of critics out there. I think go go look in Vancouver and see how they feel about him. Still, it's it's funny how 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 can you be so clueless at this point? And look, some of those some of those opinions in certain markets are skewed by people who are either bitter or have an agenda or afraid. Yeah, there's so much there's so much to parse there. But look, if if you just do the critical analysis of the situation, you can't come away with any other conclusion that this team is moving forward. This team is moving forward in a really good direction right now. They were really bad a couple years ago. Yes. I mean, re- like historically yeah. bad with a, with a talent-poor roster, terrible, a decade of terrible drafting. I mean, I, I, I shouldn't have to remind Coyotes fans where this team was three, four, five years well, ago. The 2014-15 Coyotes, Ooh. and I understand that was Sorry. the year McDavid and Eichel were in the draft. That was one of the worst hockey teams I've ever seen. And now I would say the Coyotes... Right now, in middle of November this season, they're a top ten team in the NHL in my mind. So two points on that. Two points. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. Go ahead. That's all I was going to say. Two points on that. It, let's let's keep in mind too that they are doing this without ever having had any lottery luck. Yep. How much different does this team look like? I've said this before, I know, but how much different does this team look if they had landed one of those marquee players at the top of the draft? Well, they didn't, so they had to do it another way, and they're still doing it. But secondly, how many knuckleheads do you read on social media? There we are again, talking about social media, saying, well, they haven't made the playoffs in seven years. Look, they haven't been the playoffs in a long time. He's been the GM for three years. Yeah, it's not John Chica's. Year one was, right, year one was about revamping. Year one and year two were about remaking this roster entirely. So what did you expect in those first two years? We are starting to see some signs of progress. It's not John Chica's fault the team didn't make the playoffs when he was seven. Like, there's nothing he can do about that. Exactly. I, I do wonder, especially now, for those that are critics of what he has done, what are they critical of? I mean, I don't want to come off sounding like a homer here, but as I've said all along, the, the, 
the moves he's made that you can say, well, that didn't work, they didn't really cost the team anything. Like, who do you look at and say, oh, I can't believe they traded this guy away? The only the, one maybe would be Domi, but you have Phil Kessel. And yeah, you end up turning it into Kessel there. Look, I, I think those that are outside of Arizona don't really un- have a grasp on how dire things were. And it wasn't just in that 14-15 season. Think about pre-Tippett as well and where the franchise was. I don't want to. And, and how, many, how many years, not only did they miss the playoffs, but just were non-competitive and missing on their first-round picks or not having a first-round pick in the greatest or second-greatest draft in the last 20 years. Uh, th- this, this franchise, again, the ownership issues that this franchise has had, the ownership transitions this franchise has had, there have been so many things that have really hurt the entire team on and off the ice for so many years that I don't think people outside of this town have a full appreciation for how big of a project getting this team just back to competitive truly was. Yeah. And I would say this, to Craig's point, the the lack of lottery luck, it's not, oh, you guys didn't get Austin Matthews and he's from there, we feel bad for you. No, no, I mean, that wasn't the year the Coyotes should have had the first pick. They should have had the first pick when Connor McDavid was the first pick. And if you want to play out the butterfly effect here, if they won that lottery and got Connor McDavid, what wouldn't they have? Basically, Nick Schmaltz? I mean, that's you'd basically be trading Schmaltz for McDavid. This team would be a Stanley Cup favorite if you just added McDavid and took Schmaltz off. And Schmaltz is very good. And I understand things might change a little bit over the next few years because you wouldn't be picking, but they never picked that high anyway. So right. I, I just, to never, it's not, it's not even that they didn't get the first pick. They're never getting the second pick. They never, in the years when they were terrible, they were still finding a way, Craig did the study on it, to drop in the lottery more often than they even stayed put, right? Wasn't that the, the ultimate verdict there? Yeah. That's unreal. That's unreal. Um, and, and again, whether you are comfortable with the Keller deal or the Dvorak deal or whatever right now, the fact that, that Chaika has been progressive about this and done these deals sort of the way Jamie describes them as baseball deals where he, he has some foresight and sees the landscape of the league changing. And the biggest thing to me, and I always say this about a GM in any sport, any team, I want my GMs to be decisive and definitive and take a, a course of action and stick with it. This... All the drafting and all the, the rebuilding means nothing if you draft guys and then let them all go. And, and that's, a, that's obviously an important part for a lot of reasons. But this got tweeted out earlier, and I want to read this to people. Just, we talk about the dangers of free agency all the time. And it's sometimes tough to see in the moment. Uh, but uh, Dmitry Filipovic just tweeted this out this morning. This is from July 1st, 2016. So the 2016 free agent class. Okay. Milan Lucic, 7 by 42 Kyle Lakpozo, 7 by 42 Andrew Ladd, 7 by 38 and a half. Louis Erickson, 6 by 36 Franz Nielsen, 6 by 31 and a half. David Backus, 5 by 30 Darren Helm, 5 by 19 and a quarter. Trey Brower, 4 by 18 James Reimer, 5 by 17 <sighs> These are the troubles you get into. So I will take a chance on signing a Clayton Keller and him not panning out as a first-liner before I spend six, seven, eight, nine million million a year on 30-plus-year-old veterans that don't work, that I hate their last four to five years of the contract. And those it's were, worth a chance. Those were three or four years ago, too. That was 2016. Yes. That wasn't that long, though. So, I mean, seven years and tw- $7 million a year in 2016 is going to look a lot different in 2022. You know what I mean? Seven, seven, million, yeah. $7 million in 2022 is not going to be the same. That's a point that people miss all the time, too. They just look at the number as it, as it looks right now against the cap and say, that's crazy. But you have to look down the road and understand where the league is going in terms of economics. And, and look, they're, they're pretty bullish on it right now, too, with the potential for gambling revenue coming into the league soon as well. So look at those numbers down the road. I, I would say Clayton Keller right now still looks like the biggest risk. 
Yeah. Um, but it, but it's early for all these guys. Schmaltz is playing very well. Dvorak's had a good season. Jacob Chikrin has played his best hockey recently. So you're happy about all those. But again, those are small sample sizes. You don't know yet. But there are signs of progress. And again, the number doesn't look so bad when you get down the road. When you, when you slot these guys into where the Coyotes envision them, those numbers are really reasonable if they pan out. If you could set it up where Clayton Keller believes every game is either being played in October or against St. Louis, he would win the Hart Trophy. So if you can just figure out a way to convince him that's what's going on. Um, but yeah, I mean, the more, the, more, the more we look at this year after year in free agency, I honestly believe the way to build your team, and this is not that different from the way I would have believed it to be five or ten years ago, draft defensemen and centers, trade for goalies and wings or you know that's where you can you can fill out your roster and free agency at, at those positions but you draft the goalies in the centers and or uh, the, I'm sorry the defensemen in the centers and then the other stuff you got to be smart you don't just go out there and waste money yeah. in free agency but there's not a lot of teams building cup winners through free agency it just doesn't happen unless you are landing John Tavares like Toronto did and those guys should not ever be available um, anything else before we hit listener questions Craig how's uh, how's the weather now to get warmer it, it has not. Oh. Maybe one degree. I don't know. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, okay. Let's start with Mike. Is, Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. Is Phil getting frustrated? I really wish he would have spelled frustrated with a PH, but he didn't. So I still like it, though. Um, I have not noticed Phil getting frustrated yet. Uh, Phil, Phil is not producing the way that they hoped. And, and I, I would say these last couple games he has, haven't been his best, but... Um, I suspect Phil was battling through something. In fact, I'm pretty sure he was battling through a groin injury that really hampered him. And you can see it in his skating. So let's see how he comes out of this. Uh, again, earlier in the season, I thought he was, I thought he was spectacular. He was setting up guys, and we're seeing a lot of good things. But he's got to come out of this. He, we know the guy always plays through injuries. Uh, again, I think he was playing through a groin injury that he is just emerging from. So let's give him a little more time. Yeah, a couple thoughts here. One, obviously, I talked about this in the preseason, just temper your point total expectations, not talent expectations, but point total expectations, given the way he's going to play on this team and the role he's playing. But for the most part this season, if you've watched him play, if you've watched the process, you would be happy. The points will come. The production will come if he gets a little bit healthier as he gets things going. I've been... I would say I think he's been an un- unbelievably strong piece of the team so far. I know he struggled a little bit lately, but I-, I don't see how you could be, unless you had unreasonable expectations, I can't see how you're overly disappointed. Maybe a little bit with the point total so far, but I can't imagine you being overly disappointed with what he's produced so well, far. The power, play, the power play they need to get sorted out, yes. and that's where he can have a major impact. But also remember, even if he's not producing big points, what sort of attention does he draw and what sort of space or opportunity does that create for other players? True. Yeah. I also, I, I don't have enough fingers and toes to count the opportunities he has set up for players that they have completely fumbled as well yeah. so far this season. I mean, he, so, has, he has ten that's points, a factor. which is he has ten points, which is fifth on the team. He probably sh- should realistically have seventeen or eighteen through, and, and he should be leading the team in points. By the way, while we were on the air, the uh, Islanders just placed Andrew Ladd on waivers. Ah, well, there you go. Stan Bowman is picking up his phone right now. <laughs> Bring him back. Getting the band back together. Well, uh, trade for Bufflin, and yeah, at least you don't have to deal away to Brinkett to get him. Now you can just pick him up. You don't, you don't have on a to. Mission from Dad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Eldon writes in. 
Thoughts on three-on-three overtime? I like the action in Season 1, but now teams are so focused on puck possession that they never shoot, and it's extremely boring. Uh, I still like it, but there's some truth to what you're saying there. Well, it, they're getting smarter. Yeah, I mean, coaches coach the fun out of everything. Coaches yeah, they're will getting tell you sw- that. That's a, in reality, that's what you should <laughs> do. Jeremy Colleton, yeah. fun is his only option. <laughs> yes, but that's what you should do. Jeremy, uh, call it fun. Uh, I think ten minutes. I think they should go to ten minutes for a number of reasons. A, less shootouts are good. B, I think it's going to be a little bit harder for teams to play around with the puck so much when they know they have ten minutes worth of shifts that they're going to have to do instead of five minutes. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I, I, you can't legislate defense and strategy out of the game. No. I mean, I, it is what it is. I, I still like it better than I mean, five on five. You can't tell me now there wouldn't be an emphasis put on puck possession there too. Yeah. So. Um, I, I hear what I I get what Eldon's saying. They, it's valid. It's not I'm the just, same. It, no, no, it's valid. But it's also like, uh, what do you expect coaches and players to do? That it, they're they're playing smarter in three on three. He also uh, asked if the Wild and Kings play a hockey game. Does anybody care? No, they do not. Although Craig's in Minnesota, so maybe you could find. Maybe he's still there. I don't know yeah, if he's may, still there. Craig, Craig, are you there? I'm I'm still here. Okay, oh, maybe wait, maybe wait hang up on us. Maybe you, you sound disappointed, Jamie. <laughs> He does sound disappointed. I mean, he looks even more disappointed. Yeah. No, I'm not. How This is from Kyle. How badly do the Coyotes miss Hammer on the penalty kill and the final 10 minutes of the game? Um, I would say extremely. Yeah. yeah, I'm really noticing it on the penalty kill, which has been better of late. You know, it's nice to have Brad Richardson in the lineup. Don't forget, he missed a bunch of games, too. So they were about two of their key pieces. But, yeah, they're, they're missing Nick Chalmerson a lot. Uh, also from Kyle, you're trapped on an island. You have one book, one album, and the same meal for a year. What are you reading, listening to, and eating for that year? Okay, that's tough. Ooh, wow, that's. I'll I'll take eating. It's to me, it's pepperoni pizza. Really? Yes. Album is is um, difficult because I don't listen to full albums anymore. But if I had to, and this isn't even my favorite band, I would go Versus by Pearl Jam. Interesting. Yeah, uh, I would probably go. So for for the food, I'd probably go with pork fried rice. Odd, but wow. Kind of, yeah, both of you guys are dying of cardiac arrest within the year. Uh, album, I'm probably going to go with American Idiot by Green Day. Okay, I'll go with that album. Book, that's, that's a tough one. That's a, book, book's a tough like one. Jamie knows the NHL could be listening. <laughs> um, book's interesting. How to cook pork fried rice? Rice by yeah, um, <laughs> by Green Day. Well, something that has pictures, pop up pictures, <laughs> would be preferred. Uh, Craig, do you want to weigh in? I don't know any of Barbara Streisand's albums. I'm going to eat sushi. I'm going to be healthy. Um, I'm going to go with Beck Morning Face. Go a little mellower than you guys. Wow. Although, American Idiot would be a nice choice, too. Actually, I probably would have chosen that if Jamie hadn't taken it. We're, uh, we, we, need to replace, we need to replace Jamie with Matt. So that <laughs> that's I can that's not a I good point, say. Craig. <laughs> <laughs> Matt would be uh, music uh, inspired by IPAs. And just be various artists. Uh, that, that is the problem with Matt. And what was the third question? about? What was the third Book. part of this? Book. Oh, God. I know. That's, that's, that's the board. hardest one. I, I can answer. Look, yeah. I, let's just say it. The Collective Athletic Works by Craig Morgan oh. in, a, in a hardback oh, that's book. True. Yeah, oh, that's, that's true. That's a given. Okay. Yeah. Just, just put them out. I could read that one endlessly. <laughs> no, I want different celebrities <laughs> reading it out loud to me. <laughs> there you go. Um, uh, okay. Do <laughs> you hear the sounds of hockey in the background, by the way? A little bit, yeah. You're in the state of hockey, yeah. aren't you? I am in the state of hockey. Um, I'm literally in the arena, and I think the Coyotes are going on the ice. I always have to read questions by Coach East Jack because he is so supportive. I don't know if he's being sarcastic here or not, but Dylan Strom had a great game last night in Vegas. It seems the pendulum is swinging again in his favor regarding the trade, question mark. 
Oh boy, I don't know. I'm, I'm. It, it's good for both of them. They're both playing really well. Yeah, they are. Look at that. Maybe both teams won the trade. Typically, no, that, a good sign. It was a good trade. If both social media sides doesn't are, allow that, Craig. Yeah, no, we have to have a definitive there winner must be and loser. A winner. Um, no area. No shades of gray. And Craig, if you have to leave because of practice, just tell us. But I'm going to keep reading questions. Thanks. Well, I feel like both of you are trying to get rid of me now. I mean, Craig, if you need to go, you know, we're not going to be yeah. upset. Um, Michael, why don't shootout goals count on individual stats? Uh, I would hate that. Because they shouldn't. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Not, you don't think they should count for anything, though? See, we were just having this discussion on the bus. Nick Schmaltz and Connor Garland have won in the last two games in shootouts. I think they should count for something. I'm not sure how you designate that. Maybe a separate column. But I think they should count. They, you should see those stats. You, I, I would agree with that. They should be a separate column, but they can't. But they can't count for anything. Yeah, because, I mean, I'm not one of those people. It's like, oh, the hollowed record books, you can't mess with those. But, I mean, if a guy gets to shoot 10 shootout opportunities over the course of the season, he scores on eight of them, that's going to throw everything off. So I do think it should be a category because right now it's just like, oh, yeah, Connor Garland won him the game and we'll never talk about it again. You should get something for it, but not actual goals. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how you solve that, but I, I don't like the fact that they don't show up at all. And by the way, nobody's going to score on eight of them. The best guy, T.J. Oshie, scores, I think, on just over 50% of them. Most guys are well below that. Uh, Adrian Acoin would score eight for eight, and we all know that to be true. <laughs> That's true. The closer. Uh, Los Coyotes, Steve, a quarter way into the season, which Coyotes players have exceeded expectations so far? Mm. Well, I mean, there's an obvious one. Garland. Yeah. 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 Um, at what point is that? Is it not him exceeding expectations? He's pretty consistently scoring for his whole career now at about a twenty-five goals per eighty-two games pace. I mean, it's still very early. To, it it but, is, but it's spread out now over two different seasons. Yeah, no, no. I'm not saying that as a criticism. I'm just saying to talk about career pace when you've played what sixty-five games. Yeah, <laughs> but roughly. Uh, but still, he's been look. He's been playing extremely well. He's a high effort player. And he's getting he the opportunities, the yeah. And he goes to the net, and he's not afraid, and, and he's skilled enough to, to finish. Like I'm, could not be more happy with the way Connor Garland's playing this year. He absolutely deserves all yeah. the success he has. There's 66. a lot to be said about just going to the right areas, and he or he does it consistently. So that's that's going to help him. I, I you know I I think now he is going to be a 20 goal scorer. Yeah, I agree. 21 goals in 66 games up to this point, and yeah, I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty confident when when seasons start and he's healthy, I'm gonna pencil him in for 20 goals. Yeah, no, I, I was wrong about that. He's he's getting the opportunity. He's I cannot be more impressed with what he's been doing so far. Did you isolate that, Luke? Um, yeah, I mean that's gonna be the whole show. I'm gonna delete everything else actually. I was wrong about that. I was wrong about that. <laughs> wait, wait, what's that? 50? Okay, yeah, I realized. Oh, that Craig has to go. That's that sucks. <laughs> no, no, Craig should stay. He's <laughs> catching good things. Uh, Loyal Sif wrote in similar question about Connor Garland, and I think we just kind of inadvertently answered it there. Dangle snipe belly. Is it time to add a third referee? I don't know the answer to that. But best type of donut hole. He spelled he spelled ball wrong, but okay. <laughs> glazed chocolate or powdered? Well, that's a good question, and I'm going to say glazed actually when it comes to a donut ball. Because hmm. an actual donut, eh, no. Because if if I'm eating, boring. Yeah, I want more going on. But for just a quick bite-sized yeah. donut, I want glazed. No, none, none of the above, I would say. But if I had to choose between those three, I would take glazed as well. But I like the blueberry ones, and I like the jelly-filled. Yeah, see, I don't like jelly-filled donuts, but I love jelly-filled donut holes. Yeah, it is a different. It's a different. Uh, it, it's it's a much more manageable Delicious. amount of jelly. Yeah, so like, like it's not yeah. as messy because you you could fit the whole donut hole in your mouth. There's no mess. There's no mess. There's no jelly on your shirt. Jamie needs a bib when he eats. <laughs> like there's there, there's a lot of complications with a jelly donut. You need, you need to like make an appointment. You have to fill out some forms. Like I don't have time for that stuff. You should have to sign some sort of waiver. But of those three, I'd pick powdered actually. But 
you know. But Jolly Have Fields you noticed when Jamie, when Jamie gets heated, that's when the New York yep. accent comes out the most? <laughs> I have absolutely noticed that. <laughs> you take your jelly donuts, um, Coyote and Philly. Which this is Jamie's question. Oh, he's boy. he's been begging me to to ask this question. Which starter Pokemon would did you pick? Squirtle, Bulbasaur, or Charmander? Uh, it's it's Charmander. Yeah, it is. Even it, I know it it's has Charmander. to be Charmander. Again, what you have to do early on because you're at a disadvantage for the first two gyms. So what you got to do early on here. This is this is real oh, talk right Lord. now. This is fireside chat with, oh, with Jamie. Lord. Pokemon analytics. So as you're going up through Viridian Forest to get to Pewter City, you got to get yourself a Bell Sprout, like the ones that look like the new Apple AirPods. Okay? Can you even say yeah. this stuff? on the air. I can't. I, I can't answer this. Okay. We so, are so off the You got to spend some time. You got to train up a little bit, at least till it learns Vine Whip. Help you against Brock in, in the No, in the you Peter can't City. say Vine Whip. Use it against Misty uh, in Cerulean City. And then you're at a big advantage with you, Charmander and Charmeleon and Charizard and the other gyms. Like, you're in a great spot. I, I will take all future Gen 1 Pokemon questions from now on. On, on Jamie's How own podcast. How long did you rehearse that last night? Uh, not very long because we had the question this morning. And but just, I know this. This is the Pokemon Red and and Yellow. That stuff. That's my jam. That was my jam. To be kid. clear, Xenochara uh, is the evolved form of a Charmander, or no? Probably. Okay. Um, being a runner, casual fan, I've noticed the Yotes playing many games against the number two goalie. How many games have they not gone up against the number one goalie? And does it matter? Um, I don't have the exact numbers for you. It depends who you're playing. And we've talked about this briefly in the past. When you play Boston, they have two number one goalies. If you're playing against the Coyotes, which the Coyotes never are, obviously, the Coyotes have two number one goalies. There are some teams where there's not a drop-off, and there's some teams where it's very obvious. Well, we're also seeing a lot more teams using a a higher percentage of goalie splits. Maybe not 50-50, but we're seeing a lot of 60-40 splits around the league now. So it's not all that uncommon to get a lot of these quote-unquote backup goaltenders because a lot of teams aren't pushing their starters 60-plus games anymore. My answer is we don't do research on this show. If uh, we can't answer it off the top of our heads, we're probably not going to answer it. Okay, but I mean, let's just go over the last few games. Like St. Louis played Bennington, Washington played Samsonov. But, but he's, Samsonov's their starter now. Yeah, I mean, and Holtby's been better. I was hard on him early this year because he was horrendous, but he's been better. But Samsonov, yeah. he's going to be their starter next year because they're not going to be able to resign well, Holtby. And even they were talking about that like, he was going to get like a two out of three split for the next couple of weeks. So yeah. he's their starter for at the moment. Uh, Dubnik is Minnesota's starter. I don't know that Columbus has a starter, but I guess if they do, it's Corpusalo. So three of the last four games, the Coyotes have seen the starter, and the one that wasn't was Washington, and he's going to be their starter. Yeah. So they're seeing more of them now. Um, I mean, they saw Carey Price. They saw Koskinen. I still don't understand why they saw Koskinen against Edmonton. I don't even remember who was in goal for Calgary. Was it Riddick? It was Riddick, right? Probably. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Every Cal- Calgary goalie is forgettable. So. Yeah. I mean, th- again, there's, it goes the other way. There are some teams where no matter which goalie you face is going to be good, and the other one, um, no. Okay. This is this is one of those questions I, I read, and I haven't read it before. Uh-oh. So this could be bad. Uh, Christina, I've heard that OEL has been non-existent one game to having his best ever in the next. Is he really all over the place in terms of play, or is this being exaggerated? How do you project the team's play against the Wild? Garland is a goal scorer, and I'm making T-shirts. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, that makes one wait, of us. Wait, wait. what happened there? What just happened there? <laughs> it was two questions and a statement. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How about just assess well, OEL? Because I've been getting this question off the air a lot as well. Well, I just wrote about him today, actually, and and I would say that he. I mean, look, Rick Tuckett said it outright. He just hasn't played that well this season. He had what Rick thought was his best game on Tuesday, but he just hasn't been that aggressive little bit of edge to his game kind of player that we saw the last 30 games of last season. We've heard over and over again that OEL is a slow starter. We heard that about Shane Doan too, but Rick's take on that is I don't get it and I don't care. 
You can't be a slow starter. Yeah. You're the captain. Figure it out. Start now. Start playing better. And they do need it from him. Look, this team is off to a great start. They have a chance to be in first place tonight. We talked about the scenario if they win and Edmonton loses in regulation. They could be in first place at the 20-game mark. Imagine how much better they would be if a guy like Oliver ekman Larson is playing at the top of his game. And they're going to need that if they want to get to the playoffs and do anything there. And he really has been all over the place. I mean, just look at the the two two games this week. He's I mean, not good against Washington. I mean, Monday he I mean he was falling over air pockets yeah. for half the game. I mean, it just it's yeah, he really was. It, it just it, look he's he's incredibly talented, but he has been all over the place, and that's kind of been the biggest thing holding him back from taking that next step is that you don't see prolonged stretches of him being an elite defenseman. I'm not saying he can't. He clearly has the talent. I to think be he's there, done it in but the past. But not in the last couple, not last few years. No, and I, to be clear, not Mon- when people started paying attention. Surprisingly, yeah, like Which it was just literally weird, what I just said. This weird jump. Yeah, but Monday, Tuesday was the biggest extreme. Yeah, don't you think? I mean, that, I, that I, is, I, yeah, yeah, between two games, yeah, your worst and your best game in the span of twenty-eight hours. Uh, Adam, the Coyotes have seven centers, yet as of the Calgary game, according to uh, Matt McConnell, getting a, a shout out on the show, they were twenty-second in faceoffs, and that includes Christian Dvorak, who is number three in the NHL for players with thirty-plus faceoffs. Whose job is it, or should it be, to improve this? A lot of missed opportunities without the puck. I agree. They got to fix that as a team. Now they're up to sixteenth in the NHL as a team. Dvorak has been amazing. But when you are a team built to essentially grind out 3-2 and 4-3 wins, not in the boring style that we talked about last week that apparently people still think this team is playing, but you're, you're built to win closer games. you got to be winning more face-offs. Yeah, and I would say Stepan and Richardson have to be better in the circle. Richardson just came back, of course, as well. But keep in mind, you know, I know there's a lot of attention paid to face-offs. I, I think it's an overrated stat anyway. I, I don't think it's all, all that important. To me, what happens right after the draw is just as important. So if, if you, you push the puck to a certain area, what are your teammates doing to help you win that draw? That's just as important. We saw that, you know, if you, if you go back to the Columbus game, we were talking about Oliver uh, when, when Atkinson got that tip up. Was it Atkinson? I mean, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting who, who got that goal. But yeah. they lost it. They got a draw. It was a 50-50 puck that Derek Stepan pushed to the boards. Kyle Capobianco loses the puck battle. It goes back to the point, and they score off that. That play is just as important as what happens right in the circle. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's, it's one of those stats that is a very telling stat, but also there are levels to it. You have you can win a faceoff and still end up giving up a goal right after. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, I, I don't know where the improvement's going to come. Stefan's a 47% guy. He's been a 47% guy forever. Like, yeah. This is what he is. This is what he's going what to provide. Well, having Richardson so, in the lineup is going to help. Absolutely. But, I mean, this is kind of like they don't have – I mean, this, is, this has been an issue for them for – uh, different points throughout their third turn, but I, I'm with Craig. I, I think it is a little overrated. I think it's easy to look at uh, because it's so readily available for everybody to look at. But I don't, th- I don't list that as a major concern going forward. Here's a couple goalie questions. Uh, one from Booper. I'm always going to read Booper's questions. Do you like the goalie usage so far, or do we want closer to a 50-50 mix? Maybe alternating every two games. I like the way it's been used so far. I don't think we were going to see a 50-50 split early because Ante Ranta wasn't ready. He had it. He needed some time to to round into shape. But I think we might we might see closer to it now. Look, uh, Darcy Kemper played well in that last game, but he had slipped a little bit before that. I, I don't know who's playing tonight yet, but I suspect they're going to go back to Ranta this this game because I don't think they want him to be off for five days. He played well, and <laughs> we also know what Darcy Kemper faced the last time he he played the Minnesota Wild. There was a little bit of chirping, so. Maybe you don't want to throw them out there. I do think they're going to get closer to a split than they were earlier in the season. And then the second one, 
and we got this question a few times last week, too. Joseph writes in, what would the Devils have to trade to get Ronta? The Coyotes aren't trading Ronta. I, I mean, Yeah, I, I don't know why people keep asking these questions. It, it, has, has, has what you've seen so far not shown you the value of two elite goalies? Yeah, I, I don't know why people are in such a hurry to trade him. I, I'll they take Jack Hughes. They don't have a guy ready yeah. to fill the spot. There's, there's not a guy that can come step in and, and fill that spot. They don't have anyone ready. Aiden Hill is not ready. I don't know that the Devils have anything they could trade to get Ronta other than Jack like Hughes. Hughes. Yeah, Hughes. But I mean, because the Coyotes are built on... The reason, at least for me, the reason I feel so good about this team right now is, knock on wood, neither one of the goalies have gotten hurt, but if one of them did, they shouldn't really miss a beat mm-hmm. because you've got the other one. And also... You don't beat Washington and St. Louis back to back if you don't have two number one goalies, and they play back to back games constantly this month. Correct, uh, Mike. Right, boys, I have to. Uh, I have to actually jump here, so I got to say goodbye. All right, Craig. Thanks for the time. Enjoy Minnesota. All right, guys. I will see, see you ya. next week. See you. All right, now we can do the real show. Yeah, right, let's get to Mike Ford's question, which I don't. Mike, I don't. I mean. I don't want to say Craig hates you, but the second I started to bring up your question, Craig yeah. just left. We're not saying he doesn't hate you. No, we're just going to leave that open-ended. Goligoski seems to be having a resurgence this year. Do you think it might have anything to do with how well Chikrin is playing? I think those two have played off each other very well. Yes, they have. And, and look, we expected Goligoski to bounce back because he had, quite frankly, for most of the year, a pretty dreadful season for him. So yeah. it's good to see him bouncing back. So part of it, yes, is Chikrin. Part of it was just natural progression back to the player that we all expected him to be before last season. Goligoski, incidentally, third on the team in points. I mean, he has been... Yeah, he's he, been really strong. He's been a part of a lot of their goals uh, so far this season. Let's see. Uh, AZ Hockey Nut. Are we heading towards cap problems? Lots of good players locked up long-term, quite a few sizable contracts. How do we look going forward? I, I don't see them being in real cap trouble. I mean, look, they're not, they don't have anybody else that they need to really sign to long-term deals. The cap's going to go up. Uh, I mean, because you're looking at their UFAs, I mean, Carl Soderberg... Brad Richardson, none of those guys, even if they come back, are, are going to be at a high dollar price. Vinny Hinnestros is not going to cost you a ton. Neither is Christian Fisher or Ilya Labushkin. So you really don't have pieces on this team that you really have to lock up a significant amount of money in. Cap is going to continue to go up. And I think that's partly why they want, partly why they got some of these deals done when they did is because they do have a little bit of a buffer period next year where there are no big contracts they really need to hand out in addition to what they already have. Everybody's kind of locked up. Um, okay, we got a few more, so I'm going to run through these pretty quick. We have a few questions about Kessel, which I think we sort of already answered. Uh, fantastic Mr. Fox. These are these are good Jamie questions. One, did Don Cherry clear waivers? Okay, well. Um, yes, he did. Two. Although I heard Fox News tried to put in a claim. <laughs> the Rangers are reportedly interested in Pugliarvi. What's a reasonable return for a player like that at this point? That's a good question. Because that, to me, is the sort of player that is overvalued by the team that has him. But at the same time, he was, what, the third overall pick three-ish years ago? Yeah. Um, and if you recall, that was the Austin Matthews year. And I'm trying to remember exactly how the top of that draft went. But he was going into that season, going into the season, it it was supposed to be him or Matthews. Like, going into the, the year before that actual draft. So, like, going into the 2015-16, like, junior season. Yeah. It was supposed to be him or Austin Matthews. And... There's obviously talent there, and Line A ended up passing up Dubois in the World Junior, or, uh, passing up Pugliarvi in the World Juniors yes, that year, and then Dubois passed him in the draft as well. But uh, fourth overall pick just a couple years ago, I do think there's still something there in the right situation, but you can't give up very much. No, and and I imagine it would be uh, some combination of picks. I can't imagine they're going to move guys guys of significance off of their main roster for them. I don't I don't know because I, I don't think he's going anywhere this season because I don't think the Oilers have reasonable expectations for what the return should be. 
Yeah. Like he's not playing for you. Like he has no value for you right now. Other teams are not going to fall over themselves to trade for an unproven asset that's not even playing in the league. I just randomly got a call from a number I don't recognize from New York. Oh. So maybe maybe the answer to the Paul Harvey question was Jeff Gordon's right trying to figure it out. Uh, Lisa, how do you explain the parity between how the Coyotes play good teams compared to how they play subpar teams? Um that's a good question. Look, that, that, that's been an issue for them for a while. But part of it is, I don't think we truly appreciate the diff- how good most of the league really is. And that there's really not a tremendous difference between, let's say, the second or third best teams in the league and the 23rd, 24th, 25th best teams in the league. Yeah. There's really not, especially on any given night uh, in a game. And look, reality is, is the one of the most, and this has statistically been proven, one of the most random sports to play in terms of production is hockey. There's a lot of luck and a lot of randomness that creates parity, even if there is a talent gap. On a game-to-game basis, yeah. to me, it's the hardest. Like You can sit down at the beginning of the season, and you can pick your 16 playoff teams, and I think if you know the game, I think realistically you're, you're probably going to get 11 or 12 of them right. I mean, there's stuff that there's injuries and all that stuff you can't account for. But on a night-to-night basis, and I have friends that ask me this too a lot that don't follow hockey closely, they're like, okay, who's going to win between Minnesota and Columbus tonight? And even that's not a good example, but like, no, who's gonna, no, there's no way anybody's watching. There's, there's no winners game. there. But yeah, who's going to win between Nashville and New Jersey tonight? Nashville and the Rangers, let's say on any given night. This is the one sport where any team actually could win. Ottawa's beaten Tampa this year already. Yeah. I mean, you're playing on ice. There's it's they are still the best players in the world, even though they are disproportionately not on Ottawa or L.A. But there's I mean, in any one game, a goalie could have a bad night. You could just get one bad bounce or one bad call and end up losing two to one instead of winning two to one. Uh, I think it's still too early. I understand the question is being asked because they just lost to Columbus in Minnesota and beat Washington and St. Louis. I don't think Columbus is terrible. Minnesota, that leads into our next question. Why are the Coyotes having a hard time? Why can't the Coyotes keep a lead this year from Jay Will? Um, no Nicholas Jalmerson. That, that, that's probably the biggest factor um, in it. It's more than just that because I can't just blame it on one player not being there, but that's definitely a factor. I think learning to play with a lead, you have a really young team that hasn't won a lot. I mean, aside from Phil Castle, most of these guys really haven't won many games, period. In the league, and I think it's learning how to play a different style, learning how to be aggressive but not be over aggressive with the lead. It's a combination of a lot of little things, but sure, they absolutely miss Nick Jarmerson. They need Oliver Ekman Larson to be more consistent. Uh, you know, they have a lot of guys that are talented, but they don't have a lot of guys that are maybe shut down guys. Oliver Ekman Larson can be a, a player that makes mistakes sometimes, as as a Jacob Trickwin. Their aggressiveness is what makes them great players at times, but it's also what allows things to come that come back the other way so I, I think it's a combination of a lot of different things Jarmuson included but I think I know it's cliche but sometimes you have to learn how to win some of these games these guys have not played a lot of games where they're nursing 2-0 3-0 4-0 types of leads and plus even really good teams do it the Boston Bruins lost a 4-0 third period lead <laughs> at home this week to that the Florida Panthers despite you though yeah it was but it happens but it is something that I want to see, do they break that trend? These are going to happen from time to time, even in two or three or four game stretches. Is this a trend throughout the season? Or is this a trend that happens right now and that gets corrected? Same thing with losing to teams that are beneath you in the standings. Does this become a trend all season? Or was it a tough stretch? That's what I need to kind of see. I would say of the two, the letting leads slip away in the middle of a game is more concerning to me than, oh, I mean, even if they go out there and lose to Minnesota tonight. Oh, you lost to Minnesota. Like okay, this, it, Sometimes that's the schedule. Sometimes that is that team is desperate for a win and you are not as desperate. There's a lot of things. And like we said, the randomness of, of any one individual game. But 
to me, there are certain teams that are constructed in a way where they have to win when they have the lead. You know what I mean? You don't have McDavid and Dreisaitl where you're going to be able to just lean on them or the Penguins a couple years ago with Crosby and Malkin or the Capitals with Ovechkin and Kuznetsov and all these guys. You are built to 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 get the lead in the game and basically lock it down. That's how the Coyotes are built. You're built around goaltending and defense at the end of the day. So that to me is more concerning if it doesn't get fixed. Uh, a couple more here and then we're going to wrap it up. I mean, the other thing too is they need to be better at home. Like I know they're yeah. they're only four and four this year, but last year they were technically they lost more home games than they won last year, twenty to twenty one. And this is a team that the best they've been a really strong road team. They were pretty strong last year. Not I mean not awesome, but they were strong last year. They've been really strong on the road this year. To take that next step, you've got to get these points at home. You've got to take advantage of your home games. And I know their schedule is a nightmare, and that does affect their home games as well when they come back to town for one game and then immediately go back on the road again. That, I mean, it's essentially a road game with a familiar bed. But yeah. they need to take advantage more at home because the top teams in this league, you start to look at them. Like the playoff teams last year, Colorado was seven games above 500, NHL 500 at home. Dallas, 10 games. Vegas, 12 games. San Jose, 14 games. Calgary, 16 games above 500 at home. Yeah. That is where they are losing out on points from the rest of the conference. Yeah. Uh, okay, real quick, these ones. Um, Shane, with young Pacific teams like Vancouver, Calgary, and Edmonton just entering their cup window and powerful central teams like Winnipeg, Nashville, and St. Louis on the back nine of their windows, does a move to the central in, in the 21-22 season for the Coyotes suddenly look more palatable? To me, it's not... First of all, that's still projecting out a few years. I don't think Nashville's necessarily on the back nine, or even St. Louis. I don't know what Winnipeg's doing. But, Winnipeg I mean, is, but... They, but they... I mean, that could swing again in the next couple of years. To me, the issue with moving the Coyotes to the Central is... Travel. That, yeah, they don't... Make it somehow worse than it's been. Phoenix, for those of us that don't live here, um, it's not in the middle of the country. This is about as far west as you can get. The closest cities are L.A. and... LA, San Diego. Yes. <laughs> so yes. this is a team that we're not located on the beach, obviously, but we are very far west. And the Coyotes are already having travel issues. They don't need more. Yeah. The, it's tough to project out because there's there's a lot of turnover. And, and looking two, three, four years down the road, what does Colorado look like back then? You know, uh, I, I'm not I don't think Vancouver's entering their cup window. Uh, I think they're entering a, wi- they a window of competitiveness with their young guys, and luckily some of those bad deals, are, as long as they don't replace them with new bad deals, will be off the books in a couple of years. But we never know, you know. I, I don't. I, I mean, Vegas should be here to stay for a while. You know, what if? I mean, what if some of these other teams turn things around? I, I, I'm not sure we can assess right now that the Central Division is a just purely from a hockey standpoint a better move for them versus the Pacific. But it's a terrible move travel wise. And look, it's not finalized yet, but. They still could very well be the odd, odd team out in this scenario, and it's not ideal. Again, it just adds another obstacle you not have to overcome. Really fair, either. No, but I mean, they don't care. Ways, yeah, but they should. The owner has eighty-five billion dollars. The number goes up every time I bring it up, but I don't care. I know, um, but... because the thing is, look, Shane could be completely right about the, the his assessment of the talent in it's each possible. division, but that will change over time. Yeah. The location of Phoenix isn't going to change in relation to Minnesota. I mean, based on like some global trends, like in a hundred years, we're actually be closer to the Pacific. See. That, and then, then they'll probably realign yeah. or just rename the divisions. Uh, one more from Shane, though. Imagine Rick Tockett with Toronto's roster. Where would you set the over-under on the team's point total? I mean, that's interesting. It's But I, that's probably still around 105 or whatever yeah, Toronto's I, I, is. I don't think Babcock's a bad coach. No, I don't either. But I also think Toronto had very obvious flaws that they tried to address on some level and that didn't. I mean, Tyson Berry being as bad as he's been, I did not expect. 
Like that, that, that right there might allow Colorado to win the trade because I thought Tyson Berry was going to be a legitimately strong defenseman he for them. Needs I don't to know get what it together. He, like seriously, I don't know what's going on. But they had some obvious flaws on this team that we all knew about, which was when you get the top two lines off the ice, what are you going to do? And again, you don't have to be great in the bottom six, but you can kind of not have to be terrible. But they can't defend. Their goaltender is tired. And he's trying. But Freddie Anderson is tired. They ran him into the ground last year. And that is coaching. Like, you have to look at the coach for that. I, I mean, they had, to, look, I still think they're a, a Stanley Cup contender. They've been fine. They haven't been great, but they've been fine. But I'm, I'm not sure that I would assess them that many more points. Yes, Taka would help in some of the areas they're deficient, but just having that kind of talent level. I, I, I wonder about teams like them and, and even Tampa Bay of just like, not that they don't care about the regular season, I think that that narrative is over is overblown. But just the fact that there isn't the sense of urgency even in those markets yet, just because they are so talented. Yeah, I do think this is where Tampa has a bit of an advantage. They can sort of go into cruise control mode throughout the regular season as long as they're smart about it, as long as they you know get in the playoffs and you're not facing. Toronto or Boston, which they probably will be in the first round, but it's you can get by in that market. Whereas in Toronto, you have the advantage of you're going to be able to get a guy like John Tavares when he becomes available. But if you coast for any part of the season and try and pace yourself, you're just going to get torn apart by the, the fans sure. and the media. Okay, last question of the week from Johnny. If Hayton continues to improve the season, is there any chance they would package Stepan in a deal to acquire another scoring winger or maybe add to the D-depth? Uh, I don't see how a deal like that comes to pass for anybody. Yeah, I, uh, I'm not sure Derek Stepan's a guy that's going to be traded. Like, I, I don't know wh- where what type of deal like that would make sense. I think I think Stepan probably has more value to the Coyotes than he would to a team looking to add something for a playoff push. Yeah, especially with him making six and a half next year as well. Like I, I don't see them getting anything of value for him. And he already, I, and he already fits sense. here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he, I, I just that I think again, what the value he has to the Coyotes already is more than they would get back in a trade. Correct. Uh, anything else? It doesn't matter if there's anything else because we're done. So, uh, one other thing I want to mention quickly, just uh, in players, Coyotes players have been playing better than I expected so far. We mentioned Connor Garland. I think Carl Soderberg deserves some credit too. Yeah. Not, again, it, it was a trade where they traded nothing for him. I know Connaughton just got called up the other night, but uh, he's been playing really well for them. I liked him a little bit as the. I think you brought this up first in the preseason about using him as a net front presence on the power play. Yeah. Uh, I, he, he's. Again, I know that's resulted in a goal here and there, but he's been pretty strong in that area. I've been very impressed with what I've seen so far from him. He, again, just remember, his goal total last year, it was lost in the shuffle in Colorado because he was fourth on the team behind McKinnon, Rontanen, and Landeskog. But he would have led the Coyotes in goals last year. So he, to me, is another not not a similar player at all to Michael Grabner, but similar in the sense of these are guys that should be able to get you 23 goals, 20, 20 to 23 goals. And you didn't have that last year from anybody. So just remember, whereas, sure. you know, adding a guy like that, even if he only gets you 18, okay, well, 18 was one off the team lead last year, and you're not, you didn't give anything up. That's the big point. Kevin Connaughton wasn't going to play this year. So you went out and just added Carl Soderberg. That's how your GM gets a, a contract extension, is moves, consistent moves yeah. like that. All right, for Craig Morgan, who is now stuck in the snow somewhere. For Jamie Eisner, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast. More Pokemon questions. How long was that? I felt like we went. It actually was shorter than we've been doing. Hmm. It was an hour and 18. Oh, that's not-